This season of Feminist Frequency Radio, we're bringing our feminist media criticism live to video. That's right. If you would like to see us as well as hear us talk about all things cyberpunk, you can do that at youtube.com slash feminist frequency. The audio quality on the videos are not quite as good as you get from our professionally edited podcast, but you do get to see our shining faces. So, you know, your call. We also have live video of all our bonus episodes with our special guests, which are only available to patrons. So get in on that fun at patreon.com slash femfreak. Now enjoy the show. Hey y'all, you know we're a nonprofit, right? That means we rely on donations from listeners to keep this podcast going. So if you have a couple of dollars to spare because every dollar counts, please consider giving at patreon.com slash femfreak. Also, fun fact, in addition to the perks that you'll get as a Patreon subscriber, your donations and contributions on Patreon are also tax deductible because we're a 501c3. So if you want to learn more, if you want to give, please head over to patreon.com slash femfreak. Well, I cannot recommend this movie to anyone for any reason. It is not a good movie. (laughs) That is my summary. Of the film. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I'm Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm Kat Spada, and we are back with a whole new season of feminist media criticism goodness. For this series of episodes, we will be hacking the planet, plugging into the mainframe, and having a digital, digital get down in a series of tubes that is the internet. That's right. This is the season or the summer of cyberpunk. Mr. Deckard, Dr. Eldon Terrell. The new millennium. This is amazing. We'll bring a new experience. How do you fit all that in your head anyway? I had to dump a chunk of long-term memory. This is going to be fun, Terry. Who is this? Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Mozart's ghost, the hottest band on the internet. So what is cyberpunk? This is the question I ask myself every night before I go to bed and every morning when I wake up. Um, But as far as my research has told me, cyberpunk is a genre of science fiction that combines the grittiness and harsh living situations of a dystopian reality with futurism and tech. Emerging in the second half of the 20th century, cyberpunk's roots can be found in novels like William Gibson's Neuromancer or Katsuhiro Otomo's manga Akira. And it's grown to influence comics, games, film and TV, and an entire subcultural aesthetic. Each episode of the season, we'll be discussing a specific movie that's connected to the cyberpunk genre and some that were influenced by it, but are mostly hilarious to look back on and see how Hollywood tried to portray technology leading up to and around the turn of the 21st century. Today, we're kicking things off with the 1995 film Johnny Mnemonic, directed by Robert Longo. Keanu Reeves stars in the title role as a courier who transports data by way of a chip implanted in his brain in a plague-riddled 2021. (laughs) Too real. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. The year is 2021. It is no longer safe to transmit information. Phones, computers, and satellites are all vulnerable, but there is a solution. Your storage capacity? I can carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. Input the data into the brain of a human courier, like Johnny Mnemonic. Hit me. And joining us to discuss this movie is someone who can hopefully provide analysis on all things internet. His award-winning newsletter, Garbage Day, tracks the news and trends of life online. And his podcast, The Content Minds, rounds up what's new in TikTok, crypto, and checks notes, Twitter spaces, question mark. Welcome to the show, Ryan Broderick. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk about um, one of my favorite movies involving a psychic dolphin. I would say top five for me. Like, number one, is there another one in the running here? <laughs> you know, it, there, it's just such a wide genre of film. Uh, yeah. I am very happy, though, that that was not spoiled for me in the many years since this has been out. 
Uh, so oh yeah, no, no idea that that was coming. <laughs> you could have knocked me over with a feather when that came on the screen. And this, that's like the last 10 minutes of the movie. And yeah. I was like, well, this movie can still surprise me. Yeah. It was, so, a, it was a real joy. It was a real joy of a film. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here to talk. I mean, we're, we're spending this summer, this season of episodes talking about cyberpunk. And we kind of are looking at movies that came out in like 80s, 90s, early aughts. Um, and I thought it would be interesting just to talk about like the, the portrayal of like internet culture, like this was Hollywood, like the time of Hollywood trying to figure that out. And we probably had a lot of like execs and even writers and directors who really were not in touch with it. Like, I don't know. What do you think of when you think of cyberpunk? So I'm a huge fan. I, I, I've read Neuromancer. I'm, I've, read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, the basis for Blade Runner. I love the whole aesthetic. Uh, it, it is an aesthetic that really only works kind of like in sketches. I feel like the more mm. cyberpunk you do, the kind of goofier it starts to get and the more the logic kind of breaks down, kind of like Star Wars too in a way. But like it works when you can hint at this larger kind of dystopian world. And then if you go too far, it just gets really goofy. Um, and then the, the one thing that I think... F- kind of fails no matter what when you're talking about like the golden age of cyberpunk is that it really could not predict how goofy the internet of today is like it, uh, it kind of assumed that yeah. the internet was going to be like this serious place where like you plug in with your brain stem and like you know we we didn't really have language in the 80s to be like oh no no like a cartoon frog will be the hate symbol that's used by the far right of the future. Like, <laughs> you know, memes will be stupid and scary. So cyberpunk is a little kind of tweaked <laughs> in that wrong way, I think. It's interesting. You know, we're going to come back to this later in the season, but I feel like since this is the premiere, maybe it's worth um, pulling it up. Um, but I I read the Hacker's Manifesto from 1986, which like kind of inspired the movie Hackers, like this notion. And like, watching these movies i'm just thinking oh man this is really dorky like these (laughs) folks are really really dorky and of course it of course like you know we're all dorky right but i think in movies like we're there's a lot of this like sheen or this um you know we're just the rebels who are gonna make it through and instead yeah it's like it's the same folks who are putting those memes together today you know that type of person maybe in 1986 was still like you want to tell us to stop, but we won't stop. And it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking like, about? Like, there's definitely like scenes in Johnny Mnemonic where it looks like the like Island of the Lost Boys from Peter Pan. Like, it starts <laughs> to look really silly. And I think that's also kind of the problem with cyberpunk movies in this era that we'll be talking about, which is that like it has to be filtered through Hollywood. So like Neuromancer, the book, it's pretty unrelentingly dark, and I can't really imagine what it would look like as a movie. That that's kind of my main experience with Gibson's work. Mm-hmm. And so this movie is like very very funny because like part of it is super grim dark, and then the other part of it's like iced tea with like a band of lost boys like running through a jungle gym, <laughs> in you know in in the Newark autonomous zone. So it, it's all like very weirdly um, tonally off. I think would be the, the the nicest way to put it. Yeah, and I think there's something like. Most of these movies are cheesy as fuck, right? And and like the the narratives around them. And I think there our brains give more space to narr- like reading, mm-hmm. right? The fiction of it because we can imagine things that are not cheesy, right? Or we can imagine things that like look more fluid or what have you. Whereas in film, it's like it's hard to capture. And we are talking about a very specific time period of like '90s filmmaking, like not totally low budget, but like indie style kind of filmmaking. Um, there's always this sort of rebellious, like underground element that's like fighting a corporation. Not always, but a lot of times, right? There's like, the, especially in this film, there's that energy. Um, but I want to give space to like how fun it is to imagine a future world, like a future tech world, right? Whether you're going into a dystopian or utopian space, right? Like tech, the the '90s cyberpunk energy is really tapping into like the rise of the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Which was, mm. you know, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what it was going to be in the future and what is it going to be today. And I think that there's something really kind of fun about like, yeah, what, like, I want to be a cyborg. Like, let's just be honest. Like, I think that'd be fucking great, right? Like, I want to plug into things. I want to be like, I want enhancements and all of that. And I think 
a lot of these films give us that sort of energy of like, well, maybe in the future we can have that, right? Maybe in the future, like when things are really dark, we'll have a VR world to escape into. Maybe in the future, like we will have perfect vision, <laughs> which we can do now. Uh, so, you know, we are partly cyborgs. Um, so I, I think there's something interesting in 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 the, the imagining of future tech, right? And then looking back today and being like, well, what threads are we actually moving towards, mm. right? right? What threads are actually like, we are close to or getting closer to what's even, and then which ones are just like absurd. Yeah. And like, what's even kind of re really fun about it is like, we know for a fact that like the people who make our technology today kind of took a lot of the wrong lessons from some of these stories. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, snow crash is the basis for the metaverse concept we're all talking about now. Yeah. A lot of Gibson's work, you know, it's same idea. So also you, ready player one. Right. I want to, I want to blame him too, because of that piece of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's like you watch this movie and you say like, oh, OK, so you guys all kind of took from this idea or that idea. And it is kind of like a fun checklist to be like, OK, like you kind of did kind of nail it in certain ways. And in other ways, it's just it's just completely insane, which yeah, is fun, too. Absolutely. And um, it is very much this idea of like the 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 obsession with the metaverse right now is really pulling on on these fictional worlds that these like dudes grew up with and was like, wouldn't it be cool? Well, now I have millions of dollars, so I guess I could make it happen. And you're like, oh boy, right. <laughs> this is dangerous. You know what would be you cool? Know? Billions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, did you know, Anita, that I worked on that movie? On what movie? The Social Network. Really? Oh, did you? Yeah, Fascinating. barely, I did but not know anyway. That. Um, yeah. Well, a, a great recent example of like a Hollywood entity taking the wrong lesson from it itself was uh the announcement of the squid game like yes game show that's gonna come out on netflix where it was like didn't did you watch your show i didn't watch the show now, and i already get why that's like fucked up and they're not gonna kill the people right like i didn't see that in the press release but i just assume they're not gonna kill them. <laughs> T uh, tbd <laughs> yeah wow so i think so I'm both like excited and a little bit disappointed that we're starting with this movie because this movie is the biggest piece of trash I have seen in a long time. Like just fully just going to put that out there of like the whole time I was watching it, I was like, what is happening? Oh, I don't care what's happening. I don't care about any of these people. There's no like relationship development. There's no character development. Like it's all plot, but the plot isn't explained well. Like I just was like, what the fuck is happening at any given moment? And then I was like, when is it over? Like, that was my experience with it. But I think there's so much stuff in this movie that could have been interesting in a different movie, right? I had a very similar I, You experience. don't have to agree with me no. that it was trash. I just, that's, I, what, that's where we're starting. <laughs> I had a very similar experience where my brain was like, okay, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Moving on from that as yeah. a starting point. Taking that yeah. as fact now. Just, let's just let's just put that on the shelf and we can all agree. This is one of the worst <laughs> movies ever made. But <laughs> there is so many exciting ideas in this movie. And like the idea that it opens with like essentially China, like a Chinese protest amid a global pandemic. And then he's yeah. like, and I'm like, okay, well, and it's set in 2021. I'm like, all right, what's going like what what's going on here? <laughs> and then the yeah. like the the world building i mean clearly this movie was just created to to show off a bunch of crazy future future quote unquote worlds and it is very bad <laughs> in fact like in multiple moments i was like i don't know why this is happening or what what is or who these people are and yet yeah. then you also have henry rollins just saying raw as hell shit while like yeah. hacking people's brains and i'm like all right like sure i guess i was i was like oh shit it's henry rollins that's so cool and then he started acting and i was like oh god okay this is so bad <laughs> the cat the supporting cast of this movie i'm gonna list some names for any of you who haven't watched at time of recording this movie is on netflix i don't know watch it while you're washing the dishes or something um but dina meyer from Starship yep. Troopers and Beverly Hills 90210. Ice-T, clearly same wardrobe as Tank Girl, pretty much. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, 100%. I was like, same character, basically, cool. Takeshi Kitano, who I know is the host of Takeshi's Castle, but he's also a legend in Battle Royale is probably the only other yes. thing I've seen him in. Henry Rollins... He could, he's so hot. And Udo Kier um, and Dolph Lundgren. Like, there yep. is just, like, nonstop... Um, but again, don't care about any of these characters. Okay, so 
Yes, that's exactly it. Where you're like, whoa, whoa, it's such yeah. and such. Um, okay, so this movie feels like an extremely low budget film that has an extremely high budget. Right. Like it feels so I don't know how else to describe it of like it, it was a $30 million production. Like they clearly had budget to do things with, but it looked and felt like a, a student film. So I Googled this because I, yeah. I was like, I was like, what happened here? And according to what I, what I had read was that, so William Gibson and Robert Longo, they wanted to make a million dollar film and no one wanted to give them a million dollars. And apparently they got a piece of advice, which was ask for $30 million and then you'll get it. So they ended up getting the, a ton of money they didn't want. And then we're like, well, what do we do? And then they had to create the entire Dolph Lundgren character to get the backing. Mm. So he's yeah just, that 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 he was forced on them by yeah. the studios yeah which okay. let me tell you the best part of this whole movie yeah. was him <laughs> I, like I loved to him. top to bottom I loved him. I was like I so it's Jesus time come to Jesus like yeah. his I we gotta we gotta clip that like his immediately is clearly one of the best actors on screen, like takes all of the energy and all of the air out of the room, just like focused on him. And every time he appeared, you're like, oh, I like you. Yeah. I, you're the you're the only thing holding this fucking movie <laughs> together. Like, and he's not even barely in it. And he's not even important in any way whatsoever. I always love in movies like this, there's always one actor who knows what movie they're in. Mm. And like Dolph Lundgren, maybe this is just, I think this is just how he acts in every role he does, but like um, Summer of Morbius, right? Like uh, <laughs> Do Doctor Who, what's his name? Matt Smith. Matt Smith, Matt, yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Smith like knows what movie he's in and he's like killing it in that performance in that movie. So yeah, I was like, oh, Dolph Lundgren is having fun. Like maybe Henry yes. Rollins is having fun, but he's just not that good at it, but that's okay. That's okay. I mean, like, this is what we're in for. I just feel a little angry that no one told me for like oh, like over twenty years there, there's a movie that exists where Dolph Lundgren crucifies Henry Rollins, like and like that is right? like that should be a moment in cinematic history, even if it's not well rendered. That to me is is interesting that it exists, and I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I agree. I feel like my little punk rock teenage heart would have been all over this if I yes knew about that. Yeah, I think that's what's so, actually really impressive about this though is that like it is a really goofy Hollywood thriller that clearly has bona fides in like the subcultures it's trying to it's trying to get at. So it's like it's got Ice T, it's got Henry Rollins, it's got Takashi Kitano. It has like um like classic anime like sequences just cut into it at random when they go on the yeah, internet. Well what the fuck? I was like, <laughs> like, which would actually be really cool in a film that was good. Like, you could do yes. that really interestingly, but it just didn't work. And it happened like twice or something, and then yeah. they never did it again. Yeah, it was really weird. But like, it's clearly like it, it kept making me want to trust it. And I was like, but but why is it so bad if you guys right. know all of this stuff? I get, you know, it was weird. So what? So I think part of one of the problem. Okay. One of the problems with this movie is so, so hard to say that is that like that you know if you explain this movie to me mm. I would be like fuck I'm on board yes. right you've right, got right, an right. evil corporation you've got a plague you've got uh, like a a person who ha who has to transport who's a professional transporter of data uh, like you have an underground resistance movement to technology like all of these pieces I'm just like I'm here for this and somehow. I could give a fuck about any of it, but all of those elements are really would be interesting in another environment. Like the fact that there are data couriers that that dispose of parts of their brain and their memory so that they can carry that they can carry data through whatever like black market kind of energy. Like that's a cool idea. I'm here for that premise, whatever. But like then there's this whole thing about him trying to remember his childhood and then falling in love with Dina Meyer, even though they have no chemistry at all. None. Like it was just there. There's no character development to like give a shit about why Keanu is like, yeah, he wants like you just don't care about him in any way. No, I mean, like I found it fascinating where I was like, oh, like a fi it's, a, it's a physical representation of a whistleblower, right? Like he's essentially mm -hmm. like a like a, a wet wire WikiLeaks. Fine, cool, whatever. <laughs> but the problem with that kind of character anchoring the movie is that 
he doesn't he, he literally has no past he has no personality and in fact what's kind of a bummer is he then does finally deliver a monologue at the end where he's talking about like getting his shirts pressed at wonderful yes. hotels yeah. and i was like where's this character been the whole movie yeah like if he's like if he's like a you know like a posh scumbag who like lives in fancy hotels that's an interesting character motivation but you don't ever get that until like the very end yeah. And and that monologue, I was like, oh, you're a dick. Right. Like, <laughs> right. And so but but you're right. You're you're totally right of like we didn't. Well, and, <laughs> and, yeah, like there, there's no there, nothing is earned in this movie. So like the fact that he, you know, if we had some reason why he's like, wow, even though he's really just he's given up his own memory, his own identity so that he can live large. But this guy, this like, you know. American psycho type guy has to then sacrifice, like decide to sacrifice himself for the greater good of humanity. Like that's, yeah, that's super compelling. That's your freaking Jesus (laughs) analogy. Um, But instead it's just, uh, I mean, I like Keanu, but what's going on here? Yeah. And it also feels like they, they were trying to do like a total recall thing to a degree. Mm-hmm. And and I kept waiting for them to do like, actually, the memories you have aren't really your memories. Because like everyone yeah. in the 90s loved that whole thing. But they didn't even do that. So you don't even get the like, you know, the, the quote unquote Arnold Schwarzenegger normal guy on Mars thing. You just get this like guy who's Keanu yeah. Reeves, who's just like... They don't even really make him look upset until the very end where they give him like ba- fake bags under his eyes. But he just <laughs> he's completely static the entire movie. It's very bizarre. Yeah. And then you have this evil corporation run by this guy who then like pretends to be a virtual white dude to meet up with Keanu. And then you have like this the subconscious of the founder in the like in the system that keeps appearing out of nowhere that right. like is like telling people what to do and like it takes a long time for them to explain who the fuck this person is. I thought it was Keanu's it, mom <laughs> until they were like, she's sweet Swiss and she's dead now. Okay. So uh, the only reason I barely understood any of that is because I had read Neuromancer. So I was like, okay, mm. William Gibson loves when AIs are just like benevolent, like, like God figures. So I was like, okay, maybe that's what's happening here, but they don't explain it. And I have no idea who that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so also, while we're talking about it, because I really did not understand this, Takashi Takano's character, he he owns Pharmacon, right? Like, Or he's, I got that he was like the CEO or the head of it, right? But, but, but then his daughter, but died, daughter died from, so did he not know about NAS? Or I felt like his daughter like died of NAS. Yeah, I think she did die of it. And so... <laughs> This is like also one of my least favorite villain tropes and like Marvel movies do this a lot. And this is a little bit different, but like I was disabled by something and now I'm going to be evil because disability is the worst thing that could happen. Like that, I feel like is a trope that comes through here. It's different. It's his daughter has died, but there was such lack of specificity about like, what is NAS? What does this mean? (laughs) But also he was running the company presumably before his daughter died. So did he become like a weaker CEO or something? Mm. But like, like uh, clearly none of this made sense. I feel like this movie must have been edited to high hell with studio notes because it just became totally incomprehensible. So I read about this too. (laughs) And I've been trying to find the other version. So apparently there is a a longer, more coherent version that was released in Japan but the American version got re-edited into like being more blockbuster friendly. Oh. And, G- and Gibson has come out like over and over again and be like, it doesn't make any sense. It's completely out of order. We also wrote it as a comedy and they edited it into a serious movie. And so there's like a whole bunch of shenanigans there. And you can kind of feel it. Yeah. Because it switches like crazy on you. <laughs> so yeah. you're telling me that I might watch Johnny Mnemonic two times in my life if I, I can <laughs> get my hands on your If I can find it. If I can in find my the Japanese one, version, yeah. My one precious life, I might watch Johnny Mnemonic twice. <laughs> yeah. I, how dare you? You might need to call me. I might need to be your support line to be like, just don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> no, absolutely. It has more footage uh, of the dolphin. So <laughs> one thing that I think is interesting here is that like, and, and this has been addressed more in recent times, but that Keanu is part Asian. Um, he's part Chinese, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and Hawaiian. And, um, 
that he keeps becoming this leading man that's cast as like mostly white, right? Like his race is never acknowledged in any of those characters. And I found that really um, startling in this film where you have a villain um, and you see a flashback to his life with his white mother. Yeah. Right. And, and like, you know, it's not like he could have a white mother and he could have an Asian father, what, you know, whatever it might be. But I just, it was, I just was more stark to me in this in terms of like just the full erasure, even in a movie that was exploiting a sort of Asian techno future energy like Blade Runner does, right? Like that kind of space. And so, you know, that was a disappointing thing that they could have done something with. Um, but, you know, and at the time, Keanu kept being cast as like the this like white passing leading man in yeah. all of these films. Like Speed had just come out and that right. was really successful. And they were hoping that this would like <laughs> piggyback on that. <laughs> yeah, this, the, the fans <laughs> who showed up for Speed loved this. <laughs> loved it. Um, there was also like in in the club, there was like kind of queer energy. And I couldn't really tell if like, it was okay or not, you know, like there is a, there is a little bit of like in the future, gender doesn't matter, but like only for one person kind of energy. So this is a problem I had throughout the entire movie, which was like, I could not tell who was in on the joke and if there was a joke to be in. Mm. And like, you get this with, uh, with, with Katano's character where he's like doing the puppet of the white guy avatar. Yes. And he's clearly laughing. Like he's clearly yeah. having a ball. And he's also a comedian, so you can kind of be like, all right, like you kind of get it, I think. And I think yeah. Dolph Lundgren gets it. And I think some of the Yakuza guys get it because they seem to be having a lot of fun dressed like weird Terminator characters. And Ice-T, I think, is in on the joke. Yeah. And then they Wait, get- Ice-T yeah. with an anarchy symbol carved yeah. into his forehead. Just needed to point that yeah, out. It was awesome. And then you get to like the, the <laughs> you get to like the body mod club. And that's when it starts to break down where I'm like, I don't mm -hmm. know- I, I, I trust William Gibson because he's sort of been on the right side of history for most of his subcultural stuff. He has a bad streak, as you said, a kind of a, of like sinophobia of like weird kind of like uh, East Asian tropes in his stuff. But for the most part, he kind of has a good ear to the ground when it comes to subcultures. But I could not for my life understand what was going on in that club. I couldn't tell if this yeah. was supposed to be good or bad or like because, uh, you know, like. A lot of like uh, trans tropes or trans imagery in the '90s is like you know used for in sci-fi is like degeneracy or like you know like the, the the sex club that's like freaky dystopia and I'm like right. I don't know what this is I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, and then also because like it was basically used for the character development of the lady uh, I don't remember her name in the movie Bo um, bodyguard uh... Bar Barbara no oh Jane, Jane. whatever bodyguard Jane Jane. Jane. Um, where, you know, like she, she's like capable, but compromised because she has ports in her body and she has the plague or whatever. Like it, it felt like that it was all there for her to just be like made fun of and to be an outsider. And then her and Keanu are going to be outsiders together or some shit. Like, but I think, uh, it was hard to tell like who, who's inside because it, every scene was yeah. like in some sort of different world. So when we like even when Keanu wakes up, I'm like, is is that him waking up at the beginning of the movie in a nice hotel with a fifteen thousand dollar a night hooker or whatever he says? Like <laughs> yeah. unclear. Or is that or is that just his like hovel? Then when he goes to pick up the courier data, like I wasn't I couldn't tell if those guys were part of the machine or if they were rebels or if they were criminals. Yeah, you don't find out until like later, like at least like significantly later that they are smuggling this info out of the corporation yeah. and they're part of resistance. Right. But like, you don't know that for a long time. And I guess it doesn't have to be oh. as simple as like, there's the people above ground and the people below ground, like Demolition Man style. Like there can be multiple different cultures of this world. But once we get to Newark, I was like, all right. <laughs> right? This is actually, okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I could not figure out for my life what was like wrong. But it's there's no clear definition of like what is the baseline in this movie? Like yeah. what is the norm like what is the average person like or like average kinds of people like? So to go from like what the the Beijing Imperial Hotel, I guess it is or something, mm -hmm. to the Newark Autonomous Zone, and then like the the height of like corporate America, you never there's no frame of reference. So you're just like, yeah. I don't know if this is supposed to be the good thing, the bad thing, the extreme thing, which I think Blade Runner uh, does much more effectively where they're just like, the world is awful and always raining. 
And like, that's just <laughs> it. Okay. And yeah. now we can go from there where this movie doesn't really set up anything. It's just, it just throws yeah, you in. That's a really good point. Um, I want to know why Keanu, like he knew that he was taking on more information than he could handle. <laughs> and there's like, there's a rough, there's like a loose, like it's, this is his one last one. He gets to like get out after this kind of energy in that intro sequence in the fancy hotel room. But you're also like then being told about like how dangerous it is to do this and that you're going to die and all this shit. And you're like, why would he do that? Like, I just I like yeah. it because there's no character motivation. You're just like I don't know. Like the whole time, I'm like, well, you're an idiot. He wants <laughs> of a, course a you're gonna die. I guess like, but that was also a great. I mean, in general, and I hope we talk a little more specifically about like the tech in this movie. But when they have to find a way to like physically represent something, and so Keanu has to act big when he's like overloading on data. When like yeah. that wouldn't. It doesn't seem like it would be a thing that he would be like, I have to like do like weird, not Tai Chi to like center the pain out of my head or whatever. But like, why is that a physical thing? Like either you have enough space or you don't. Part of me was like, stop yeah. looking at things. Stop remembering <laughs> things. You're right. going to fill up your brain hard drive or whatever. Like, um, can, can we also talk about how, like, the code is just a printed, Ooh. like, three screenshots yeah. printed on a random piece of paper to, what? 90s Capucha, you know? You, it's just <laughs> how it works, I guess. There was also, so there's, like, the, the Yakuza henchman with the uh, garrote that, like, he pulls yes. out of his thumb. Yeah. I didn't get until the very end. That that's no. what his little biomechanic nope. thumb was. I no thought they didn't set it up at all. That that had to have been cut out yeah. because they didn't set it up at all. I was like, oh, like, this guy they wears showed a, thumb a shot ring. of it. Therefore, he's evil. <laughs> like, end of end of. I was, of like, it. I was story. like, this dude loves cocaine. That's yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, love it. Looks like a coke finger. Uh, yeah, because I remember you saw it and like you're like, why did you show us this dude's thumb? Yeah. And then at the end, you're like. Oh, yeah. Um, that was cool. I have to say the little laser pop off people's heads energy. And they would yeah. like slice like people. Slicing. That was yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, what about like, OK, actually, and Ryan, you might know the answer to this. Like there's clearly a lot of like there's a lot of like fine art that influences this aesthetic, this subculture. Like we know, like H.R. Giger, like his yeah. art will inspire a lot. The I swear to God, the dolphin was inspired by Damien Hirst. I actually had to look it up because that shark in formaldehyde piece of his is from 1991. Um, But what about all the like the TV wall? Because that's in everything. Like, is that from an art piece or is that just, well, we love cathode ray tubes. They'll love them even more in the future. I have also wondered if this is the origin of the like guy with headsets surrounded by cat like like TVs yeah. thing because it's a huge trope in anime. Um, it's probably most famously done in one called Serial Experiments Lane, which is if anyone listening to this likes any of the things that are being talked about here, you'll really like that anime. But I was wondering, like, is this the beginning of that like very iconic like because his helmet is like. That's the helmet. Like, and I, yeah. I I don't know of an earlier example of the cyberpunk helmet than the one at the end where he's like strapped in and it's massive and he's surrounded by the hacker stuff. Um, I'm wondering if this is the beginning of that. Uh I I am badly transitioning into Do the it. VR interface. I'm so sorry. Oh. I the V remember when he goes into VR and he's like do, making phone calls and like yeah. connecting with yeah. people yeah. over VR. Like I actually, I was like, oh, this is cheesy. And then it, I actually came around to it. I was like, I kind of love this. And there's like the like VR fighting. It's like the, clo- yeah, it, I can't, I can barely remember the details of it, but there was something about it that I'm like, okay, cool. Like you go into VR and you like do these weird things and communicate with people this way. Okay, cool. He he goes into VR to look up the records of a fax, which I think is yes. so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it, you're right. Yeah, like you go into VR to make phone calls yeah. and to like connect with people and to yeah. And I was just like, okay, like this is completely absurd and fits in this movie very well. But it it feels like Kat, you were asking about like technology stuff. Like it feels 
Like, it's so stupid. It's like the dumbest. It's not even like an interesting intellectualization of what you could do in VR in this space. But like, they just went for it in terms of the aesthetics, right? Yeah, there's a lot like what's how can we put the most into this world versus like the best or the weirdest (laughs) or coolest? Just like, let's put the most into this graphic design. We have $30 million to spend. What did you guys think of when he gets in the fight with the message board moderator who's like, don't flame my board, man. (laughs) I thought that was tremendous. It was like, oh, I've had that experience on Discord before. Yeah, okay, fine. (laughs) Accurate. Future telling. (laughs) I think my favorite tech moment is when Ice-T does a World Star video and he says, get your VCRs ready because you're about to have... So this is the whole end of the movie, folks. Keanu's brain chip has the cure for NAS and the Black Shakes, which is my new favorite indie band, um, to put through the dolphin's brain into everyone else's VCR. (laughs) (laughs) And then you'll have the cure. Like, that's it. And in three weeks from now, you'll be fine. Like, un... Uh... I just wish there was like anything, like any, it just ends. It pretty much just ends at that moment. And also like (laughs) the cure, like you would need a whole, like scientists to probably build it and shit, not just like record a video with some like data spilling on it. It was, you know. Like I want the ending where it's like, I'm going to do my own research. Like the dolphin told me (laughs) that, but like, I'm pretty sure that there's a different, like there's a veterinary drug I can take instead. Yeah, this is like when you find out that you've just been watching like QAnon members the whole time. And they're just like, <laughs> we figured it out. It's it's biolabs. It's, I mean, that is though, like kind of the interesting thing about this movie is that the tech is all off, but like the way people use the bad tech is accurate to how people use the internet now in a weird way. Where you're like, oh yeah, like a bunch of crazy anarchists probably would steal data from a pharmaceutical company and leak it yeah. online. Like, all right. Uh- I would just like to say that anarchy is not what we see in the movies, and I'm going to just correct that uh, usage of that term real quick and uh, just pop it in for that. So actually, this literally happened to me the other day. I was hanging out with some friends, and someone was like, and then anarchists, I was like, yo, everybody, let's do a lesson in the history of anarchy, please. But uh, your point is still made. Just take anarchy out of the, the sentence. Yeah. Um, the other thing that like is in all of these movies, like somehow in the future, in these futures, uh, you always have the underground uh, resistance movements um, being able to tap into like the major corporate news cycles, mm. like just without any problem, super easy, just going to like. Whenever we feel like it, we're just going to blow through this and like tell the world that we're here for them or whatever. Like you think they would have better security. (laughs) I wanted to look this up because I was curious. Uh, Is this before, was this before or after the Max Headroom stuff? I'm wondering. I think this was after, but yeah, there was something about that. I mean, there's a little bit of just like aesthetic similarity, but yeah, like, I think of Max Headroom as like a, a part of a con- part of a continuum from like network, you know, like right, that this was right. something that could exist without all of the high tech, which maybe it seems like these writers and as Anita said, like it's a little easier to like buy into this when you're reading a novel but that these writers are talking about humanity. And then when we're trying to like actually practically show how tech works in it, that's where it all falls apart because humanity is what we're trying to like really get at the heart of but the yeah and we're gonna do it through dolphin brain is like uh, oh (laughs) oh that's what we're gonna do okay yeah i mean also oh sorry no no i I was just gonna pick i was just gonna say yeah it it is kind of funny that like for a lot of the a lot of cyberpunk stories kind of all just end with like and then we told everyone the truth and they believed it and it's like Mm. In like in 2022, Which is the fantasy. yeah, it is. That's the fantasy. Yeah, it doesn't work. Like you know, the the January six hearings are happening right now. Like I don't know if it works like that in real life, but it would be nice if you just <laughs> you know revealed the truth and everyone falls along. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When you're talking about humanity, it also like popped into my brain that like we don't know what this plague is or what it does. Like they didn't show like. Oh, like you're talking about how we don't see the baseline of the people and we don't really see people sick or like care either on top of all of that. 
Yeah. Yeah, they they give the explanation of what it is to Henry Rollins, which is a very bad idea because he is <laughs> not good at del- he has so much exposition in this movie and he shouldn't have had any because it's just I think what it doesn't he say and I couldn't tell if he was serious, but I think he says that like NAS is caused by like like technology. It's like an electromagnetic thing that but mm. I have no idea if that's real or not. I clearly that all fell out of my brain. Like you see it you see like uh, the um Union Station, like closed oh, right. down with people dying, but like who they could have been in a war. Who fucking knows what's going on with yeah. them, right? I do yeah. know, but I'll, but also, oh sorry, Mm-mm. I was gonna make a very bad joke. Please, uh, uh, well, I do know that I'll never listen to the song "Under the Bridge" the same ever again. No, nothing. Is that nothing? <laughs> I think that's nothing. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. That's okay. You gotta, you gotta try. You gotta try. I thought that was. Nice. Uh, we only have three listeners. It's fine. <laughs> fine um right well i cannot recommend this movie to anyone for any reason it is not a good movie um <laughs> that is my summary of the film oh except you could you should just watch a supercut of dolph lundgren in it because he yeah. uh whose name i just said totally wrong whatever lundgren 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 dolph lundgren so all right you said that um uh, just as we as we start to close out this discussion, like, is there if somebody watches this movie and then needs to cleanse their palate with like a different cyberpunk movie, what would you recommend or an anime or anything like that? I mean, it's funny, like this movie got made better a bunch of different ways. I feel like like every idea in this movie, you could probably find a better version of. Right. Uh, if you like uh, the the scene setting, maybe like 12 Monkeys, that, that, that movie's mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh, if you like uh, kind of like um, the Gibson-y stuff, Blade Runner is probably better. I think a better version of that. Um, but you could also just like watch a bunch of classic anime. I think I think this movie would have been a lot better as an anime. Like it would have like the, the the dolphin would have been more believable as a cartoon. <laughs> I just I think it would have helped. Okay, what if the dolphin was just a cartoon in this live action movie? Yeah, last oh, like, action hero. <laughs> honestly, that would be pretty fun. I mean, <laughs> yeah. See. Well, what is crazy about the dolphin, though, and I I am dying to know if this is on purpose. But have you ever? I didn't see the movie, but the the book, the circle. Do you know about this? The book. Yeah, I know the God, loose premise, but yeah, I didn't read it or what. The movie was Tom Hanks. Yeah, the movie's supposed to be horrible, but the book I I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, it it's uh, by Dave Eggers, and it's sort of like a dy- dystopian picture of like a surveillance state run by like a Facebook company, but. In the company's like lobby, there's a giant shark in a tank that mm. finally gets loose. Spoiler gets loose at the end of the book, and I do wonder. When I saw the dolphin in this movie, I was like, "It is weird to have two aquatic animals in a tank as like the the centerpiece for your weird sci-fi thing." But maybe it's unrelated. I don't know. I don't want to give Dave Eggers too much credit, but I, I liked I liked the, the dolphin in this. I thought I've I've come around. I've decided the dolphin is good in this movie. The dolphin's good. Yeah. Great. All right, y'all. We're going to take a little break and we'll be right back to share some freakouts. If you are enjoying our show, please consider supporting it on Patreon. Your monthly or annual tax-deductible gift helps us keep the show running and on the air. By becoming a patron, you're supporting independent feminist media and a nonprofit that's working to end abuse in the games industry. Plus, patrons get a special bonus alongside each episode of the podcast. Of course, we know that not everyone has the means to financially support the show. So, just taking a moment to give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show can help new listeners find us. We appreciate your support in whatever way you can provide it. Now, back to the show. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us this past week. Anita, do you have a freak out? I do. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing Hannah Gatsby live. Um, you might remember her as a comic. Uh, oh, she's a comic. She's wonderful. But she gained a lot of notoriety for her special Nanette, which I believe we did an episode on here at Feminist Frequency Radio, and also Douglas. And um, I just think she is a wonderful storyteller and um, just understands comedic storytelling really well. And so she's touring right now 
with Body of Work, which is her new special. Uh, she calls it the feel-good show she owes her fans mm. <laughs> <laughs> because Nanette and Douglas are both very heavy. Yeah. Um, and it was lovely seeing her live. It's lovely seeing her workshop, uh, you know, like this special has been very well established already, but it was fun seeing her workshop it. Like there was one line that she said where she was just like, never said that before. Never going to say that again. That's all for you. <laughs> you know, where you're just like, cool, like just trying things out and seeing how they work. Um, and it was, it was really lovely and I enjoyed it very much and I laughed very much. And, um, when it is, if, if she's coming to your town, go see her. And when it's a special, go watch it. That's my freak out. Thank you. Ryan, what have you been freaking out about? I'm kind of freaking out about like the weird uh, like fan reaction to the this new season of Amazon's uh, The Boys, which is like a really kind of like transgressive deconstruction of like superhero stuff. But the comic it's based on was like it's it's rough. It's not good. I I don't really like it that much. Mm. I think it's it's pretty it's a pretty ugly and 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 reactionary comic. And it, obviously, there's like a lot of right wing guys that have kind of liked the show. But the show is beginning to pivot very hard into revealing that it's making fun of them. Oh. And the reactions on Reddit are kind of delicious <laughs> because <laughs> uh, a lot of these guys do not seem to have uh, realized that they were the butt of the joke from the beginning. And as the show is getting like more and more obvious that like it's doing yeah. a thing about this thing and like sort of. It's it's actually very similar to like the reaction around Starship Troopers, where like the movie mm. makes fun of the book a bit. Um, the same thing is beginning to happen with the show. I'm curious if they'll stick with it and they'll go all the way and they'll just like you know go full satire. Okay. But this explains a lot. So I watched the first season and I fucking hate it, and I think it is just cynical, like misogynist trash and just like really um, douchey. Uh, but I saw someone that I really admire and trust tweet about like thinking that while it has its problems, obviously, it as does. all media does, um, it is actually really left leaning and progressive. And so now I'm like and now that you're saying this, I'm like, huh, like, I don't think I could. I don't know if I could stomach watching any more of it because I found it really, really repulsive. But I'm now I'm really curious yeah. because <laughs> I'm holding like, my breath. It's it's like it's. It has a, a chance to to get to like RoboCop levels where it's like it's using that stuff that's really ugly to like make a point that's interesting. I don't know if they'll go all the way. I hope they do. I hope they get to like the the good the the, the god tier satire level. But right now, it's promising. It's interesting, uh, and and I love how angry everyone is about it on Reddit. <laughs> I, I think I did you was this in your newsletter today? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like the the reaction that people have. I mean, the boys is probably more neat. It was definitely more niche. But like every time Captain America does something and they're like, this isn't supposed to be political. And right. it's like, when were comics not political? Like that, right. who told you that? Who gave you that impression? <laughs> Where like, did you get that idea? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Here's uh, hoping. <laughs> all right. Um, I think that the show will be done by the time this episode comes out. So we'll 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 look at your Twitter to see <laughs> how you feel about it. Yeah, yeah. Cat, um, what are you freaking out about? Um, also, something that will be very passe probably by the time this episode comes out. But I watched the new Queer as Folk, which is on Peacock. I was a little skeptical of it, maybe, but I have a, an acquaintance who's one of the cast members, so I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to check out a couple episodes. And I kind of got hooked. And there was just one thing in particular I wanted to mention. I've watched the whole season now. First of all, okay, two things I'm mentioning. It does start with a disclaimer that the pilot episode is going to uh, deal with the aftermath of a mass shooting. So watching it right now, I was like, oh, is this something where they just had to add that because of the, the current events that are constantly current? But no, it's like a very like specifically placed in a Pulse nightclub scenario and the entire season is dealing with the aftermath in the community. So that is, um, I don't know. I, I, that just is what it is. I wanted to say that in case anybody wants to check it out and then now doesn't. But um, one thing that I did want to highlight is the original Queer as Folk kind of broke the rule of there can only be one gay person in a show. <laughs> and this version of Queer as Folk breaks the rule that there can only be one person with a disability in the show. So there are two main characters in the cast who have physical disabilities. And then there is an entire episode in which the, the gang puts on a sex party that is specifically welcoming and inclusive and accessible for people of all physical abilities. And, you know, whether or not this is the show with the best acting, writing, 
in the world. I'm not going to say it is, but it was pretty cool to see an episode of television where people are having sex and their bodies look different than the type of people who usually have sex on television. And it's hot and um, uh, aspirational in a way that I think uh, was just cool to see. So I wanted to shout that out and, yeah. uh, you know, check it out. It's a Except for the mass shooting stuff, it is a fairly <laughs> easy watch. So, <laughs> oh man, I love, love America. I love American <laughs> media, man. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool, though. Um, it reminds me of so. Um, Strange New Worlds is the the latest Star Trek show, and I fucking love it. I'm it's only so two good. episodes I sh- in, I should have but a I'm really about digging that. it. But so there's an episode that has like a queer villain, mm. specifically oh. a trans queer villain, and I was like. In any other situation, I would be upset by this and think it was like a trope. But but the Star Trek universe, the new Star Trek universe is so fucking queer and gay that like it is the one it's one of the few spaces where you can do that now mm-hmm. and that it's OK to do that because it's a world full of queer folks who um, have a variety of good, bad, complicated, messy, recurring cast members, one offs, that sort of thing. And so like. It was just this moment where I'm like, oh, this is this is the future that I was hoping for. <laughs> like, this is the media future that, like, we've been kind of fighting for in some ways. Are you telling me that Star Trek is getting political for the first time? Uh-oh. It's been, what? Yeah. It's been, have you watched Discovery? <laughs> no, I'm are you kidding. joking? I'm You're kidding. making a joke. Yeah. I was like, what? Are you, why, yes. Star Trek. <laughs> Inclusivity like people... in my Star Trek. Get out of here. Yeah, people have, have done the exact yeah, same no, thing you're with right. Star Trek, I... like, where it's just like, uh, I come to this for just some fun outer space hijinks, and it's like, yeah, wrong show. No, yeah. no, you don't. Imagine yeah. how boring Star Trek would be without the politics. Like that's the best <laughs> part of it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I yeah, like I said, I'm only a couple episodes in, but the first episode of uh, is it the first episode where they uh, have like that very obvious Trump character, the woman with the big crazy blonde hair who's like leading a world that's about to. Oh, me? Y- yes. Break itself yes, into pieces? I think so. so I, I just remember that my man was, like, making breakfast for his lover, and it was just really hot. That's, like, what I remember about the first episode. I mean, if Captain Pike's my... I just love him. You're not sold so on hot. that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the next episode, or in a... I think in a couple episodes in the next episode, he's, like, making ribs and shit. Like, <laughs> making a feast for everyone. Like, the, the rec- there was a recurring theme of the season of him cooking, and I'm just like, you could not make him any hotter. Like, I just... <laughs> I'm so glad we got married a couple years ago <laughs> when he was on Discovery. That is our show for today. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. Where can people learn more about you? I have a very unfortunate Twitter feed, which you can find at Broderick uh, with all of my horrible thoughts about anything that's happening in the world. And then I have a much more coherent collection of writing, which I think is much better. Uh, my newsletter, which is Garbage Day, which you can find at garbageday.email. So. Oh, and then I, I am not a, a podcast. Good, so I, I never URL. I never remember to say this. I have a podcast, thecontentminds.com, where we talk about life and the content minds. So there you go. Excellent. Uh, well, I'm Anita Sarkeesian, and you can find me at Anita Sarkeesian on all the things. I'm Kat Spada, and you can find me at Kat underscore EX underscore Machina on Twitter. And be sure to follow Feminist Frequency on all of the socials at FemFreak. If you are a Patreon subscriber, be sure to stick around for the bonus episode with our guest, Ryan Broderick. If you like our show, please help other people find it by subscribing, rating, and commenting on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.